So guys, welcome to the Rise of the Super Being podcast. I'm your host, Vanderson Pires, our producer, it's Callan Walker, and my guest today, it's Paul Fenton. So Paul, thank you, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you, Vanderson, man, it's such a privilege to be here and be part of this thing that you're doing, it's great. Ah, that's awesome, thank you so yeah. much. So guys, before we get into so remember this episode, it's sponsored by Combat Room Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So if you want to improve your well-being in general, Come to do some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Come to see me and my team at www.combatroom.co.nz. And today we're going to talk about, of course, we're going to talk about some, some BJJ. We're going to talk about some violence. We're going to talk about uh, um, lots of uh, interesting things. And, of course, we're going to talk about kombucha. This episode, <laughs> <laughs> Callan was really excited. For the first time, I'm going to offer him not only water or green tea. <laughs> But kombucha, Paul is going to teach us, Paul, it's, it's the owner of Plymouth Kombucha. He's going to tell us about the secret, how to make one of the best kombuchas in New Zealand. I don't think that was in the, in the contract. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you where to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, you have over 20 years experience in compliance and enforcement roles. And you was a police officer as well, dealing with all sorts of domestic violence, drugs, gang-related violence, and all sorts of things, right? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. So how, how, how old did you start in the, as a police officer? And how was your first motivation to start to become a police officer, Paul? Uh, look, I, I always wanted to join the police right from being a kid playing mm. cops and robbers, you know. The, yeah. the idea of getting paid to drive fast and have fights was really appealing. Mm. And, um, you know, especially when I was a, a teenager. And, and um, But back then, and I'm talking quite a few years ago now, mm -hmm. um, you had to be over 20 years old to join police. Mm. And, you know, I recruited through Christchurch. There was like, you know, there was 10,000 other six-foot white guys who wanted to join the police as well. So the standard was really high. Mm -hmm. So I left, did some other stuff for a while, did a bit of extra education um, at night school. And then uh, when I was about 25, applied for police. Mm. Yeah. And that was probably, I think for me, was probably quite a good age. Mm -hmm. I know now some people join the police much younger. And, I've, you know, I've got to say I was in the police when they started joining. And all of those people that were recruited quite young were really mature for their age. Mm. So it wasn't like, you know, I wouldn't have been any good at 18. Uh -huh. Whereas some of these people coming in now, they are, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So, Paul, as we, we, yeah, so guys, we're going to talk a little bit today about, you know, some, some kind of heavy things, but with the intention of educate yep. people and give good knowledge. And violen violence, it's kind of a taboo, but something, it's part of our, our society, yeah, yeah, part of our yeah. lives. Right? It's really sad. And I guess just a little bit of a. I guess a bit of a disclosure up front, you know, some of the stuff we're going to talk about, it's not nice. Mm. It's really quite abhorrent stuff. It's sexual violence and graphic violence. And and um, I don't want this to be a really dark conversation. So if we make light of anything, there's absolutely no disrespect intended to any victims of any of those sorts of crimes mm -hmm. at all. You know? Yeah. 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 Our intention, it's just educate. Uh, yeah, exactly. And yeah. give people some, some ideas about uh, self-defense as well, yeah. right? So Paul, so let's um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we see violence in the media, and what's what's the 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 what's the media report daily reflects on your experience on, on the ground, kind of being a police officer. Um, look, I just before I before I came here, you know, I just ran the police stats that they've mm. just produced for the last financial year, the nineteen twenty financial year. Um, domestic violence has gone up thirteen and a half percent. 
that's a concerning amount. Mm. Um, and last year, police dealt with 50,000 assault matters. That's 50,000 people were assaulted um, that was notified to police. So we know that number is going to be way higher for all the times people get in pub fights and domestic violence that just isn't reported to police at all. The really concerning about that thing is of that 50,000, 20,000 of those um, were serious harm injuries. So that's where someone's, it's not a black eye, you know, someone's broken a bone, um, broken jaw, fractured eye socket, been stabbed, that type of thing. So, mm. you know, we're only a small country. 20,000 of those um, throughout the year, you do the maths, I'll say 4,000 a week. Um, it's shocking. No, sorry, that's not right, is it? No. Nah, yeah, we need to do some maths on that one, yeah. <laughs> I did pass the maths test to get into police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot, you know. It's, it's, it's way lot. too many. Yeah. It's, mm. um, so what you see in the media is just the tip, very tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole bunch of violence that goes on, doesn't even make it into the press or the, mm. you know, into the into the general media. It's mm. 385 a week. Apparently it's 385 a week. Wow. That's, yeah, it's a yeah, lot. You know, that's a lot of, lot of that's serious harm, mm-hmm. you know. And when you think about that as a, as a drain on our society from an economic point of view, if each one of those people needs $1,000 worth of medical treatment, which isn't much, you know, that's $385,000 a week that we're not spending on schools, education, healthcare, important things, you know. Mm-hmm. So not only is it really bad for people who are being assaulted, it's, it has a massive impact on our economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, Paul, um, at your experience, and, and of course, now you've been doing training in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu yeah. now at Combat Room for five years, your purple belt in Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. So, when, when you discover Jiu Jitsu, and you already was out of the, the role of being police yeah. officer. Yeah. So, how was this, this insight you had? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just thought, I wish I'd done this before I joined police. Mm. Yeah. Why, is, why is that, Paul? Oh, look, police have got a really weird job. So th- they have to exercise and use force. It's part of the job. You can't avoid it. Mm. You know, there's no two ways about that. People need to be arrested. They need to be controlled, you know, and, and you do that sometimes to protect them from someone who's attacking them at that moment, mm. you know. Um, but they have to do that inside of a whole bunch of rules. And those rules don't exist for the person that's being arrested, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I kind of use the analogy, it's a bit like if it was the UFC, one person was trained and one person wasn't, and one person has to play by the rules and the other doesn't, and there's no referee, you know? So as a police officer, your objective is to um, restrain someone, you know, it's to get control of them, get the handcuffs off them, on them, and usually when that happens, a person will calm down and stop fighting. Most of the time, the odd person might keep biting and kicking and stuff, but Mm -hmm. if you just leave them handcuffed, they're going to calm down. Yeah. Yeah. but the person who's, you know, the other person involved in this physical confrontation, they can bite and scratch and kick and do whatever they want, you know. Mm. They can pull out a knife, pull out a gun. Police can't do that, you know. And police don't always get that right. It's really hard, you know. You just, you don't get to choose the person that you're arresting. You know, if I said to you now, Vanderson, well, you're, you know, you're a highly experienced black belt in jiu-jitsu. If I said to you, hey, there's a guy in the room next door he may or may not have a knife and he's beating up his missus. I want you to go in there and restrain him. Mm. You know, you think about what you know now, what you would do compared to what you knew before you did jujitsu. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. you're just going to kind of make do. Yeah. yeah. So my, um, the way I dealt with that in police was to go to the gym a lot. 
you mm-hmm. know. I was like a 120 kilo guy and I was in my 20s and, you know, I'm six foot something. So <laughs> <laughs> just grab people and, you know, yeah, yeah. manhandled them really was how, how it worked. <laughs> you do a little bit of training at police college, you know, they teach you some wrist locks and some some sort of ineffective arm bars and a dangerous choke. And, mm. <laughs> and, and that's kind of about it, you know. Mm-hmm. You're only there for, I think now they only go there for like 12 weeks. You know, and that's, that's and that's to do all of their training. Mm. You know, you might do one hour of physical training a day. So, you know, maybe you're going to get 50 hours of physical training uh, at police college, mm. and then go out and do it in real life mm-hmm. with people who are crazy and bad and hate you and want to kill you, and you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they might be a whole lot bigger than you too. Mm. Yeah. yeah, because it's not for us because we we practice that on the daily basis. Yeah. You know? so we we understand. And, and also, I think that's that's what people underestimate as well—the power of, uh, uh, you know, the, the power of the confrontation, yep. the violence. And when you, you when you don't train enough, yeah, yeah, you're not yeah. gonna be prepared. You know, yeah. just going for one class once in a blue moon, hundred percent, it's not gonna give the, the the confidence, the tools to be able to to handle the I situation. Think, I think the other thing that happens too at jujitsu, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm, you know, yeah. you know what it's like when I roll with you in six minutes. It's like Six minutes of being very uncomfortable. <laughs> I could describe it some other ways, but you know, it's six minutes of being highly uncomfortable, you know, and you kind of get used to that and to start thinking inside of that space when the pressure's really on, you know, mm-hmm. and you've got to make decisions that are quite important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Jiu Jitsu could give, uh, uh, you know, to everybody the opportunity to experience that confrontation in a safe environment yeah. with the rules, you know, you've, you've been talking about, right? Yeah, I think there's another thing that happens too. Um, and it, this would have happened more for me if I'd started Jiu Jitsu when I was a lot younger, mm. is you get rid of some of that kind of macho, mm. I want to have a bit of fun yeah. kind of stuff. Because you do that on the mat. Yeah. You know? My experience is that the people who, the more people train, the less they ever want to get in a fight or confrontation mm-hmm. for real life. Yes. You know, in, in real life, because mm-hmm. you've done all that on the map. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need, you know, you kind of, you get the ego knocked out of you a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the respect as well, you know, because you can look at you, someone you're never going to know, you know, oh. how skillful that person, you know, what yeah, that yeah, person yeah. has been training. We never know, and, and this oh. is another thing Jiu-Jitsu teaches us now. Because if you line up, you know a whole <laughs> class and say, "Okay, you know, pick the one you think it's the best," you know, probably the person is gonna pick for, you know, for their bias. You know, ah, okay, the tallest or the biggest, and it's yeah. not about yeah, that, no, right? No. <laughs> Look out for the little guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a guy that trains with us. You know, um, he's half my weight. Mm. Yeah, he's a purple belt. When when he's he's more advanced than him. When we roll, man, he gets the better of me. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? Ah, no, no, no. <laughs> Peter, if you're watching, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's in, yeah. it's impressive, you know. And I think oh, that's yeah. that's that's where the you know in a, in a, in a nice way, you know, the the superpower yeah, yeah. comes from. You know, that. I think too one of the things that I loved about um, jujitsu was everyone kicked my ass when I started, mm. no matter who they were. You know, like male, female, big, small, everyone just you know owned me. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like. Okay, I'll get used to that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they're kind of like, I want to learn to do that too, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have to go through the yeah. same So I think I think the, um, the key thing there about jujitsu with police is that jujitsu is about being in control as a mm-hmm. martial art. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit, you know, not being disrespectful to other martial arts, which are also very useful for self defense. But, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, if I was a black belt in karate, that's going to help me kick and punch 
but you don't that's not your objective when you're trying to get the handcuffs on someone mm-hmm. might be really good if that's what you need to be doing at the time mm-hmm. but you know if you wanted to go into that room like i talked about and restrain that person without hurting them and do it safely for you and for them jiu-jitsu is probably the best way to do that mm-hmm. yeah yeah so true so so paul how did you yeah so how did you protect how did you how did you protect yourself as a as a police officer uh, well was that no i, I had a um uh, a lot of time in the gym that I talked about. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you a little story actually about it if I got. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think this is a good example of the kind of the situation a cop, any cop could find themselves in, you know, and probably most cops do at some stage of their shift, you know. Mm. We um we called this woman drink driving. This was back when I was a uniform constable. And um, we processed her for the drink driving. She told us this really horrible story. She was a lady in her 40s um, about her husband just systematically just beat her all the time he'd hold her hand on the stove and burn her he'd hit her with a chain she just had this whole lifetime of absolutely shocking um, physical abuse she didn't care less she'd been caught during driving her big concern was that uh, when she got home she was going to get beaten up mm. and she was drink driving because her and her husband were drinking and he told her to go down and get some fish and chips and of course she had to do what she was told or she'd get beaten up so she drove down to get them and that was when we we stopped her, which was unfortunate for her. So we um we didn't really know what to do. Like we can't say, well, no, you can't go home. We had no right to sort of detain this lady. So we tried to get her into women's refuge, all these things, but no, she wasn't having it. She was, I gotta go home. I know I'm gonna get the bash, but please don't come home with me because you'll just make it worse. So of course we didn't listen to that. We um we dropped the home and then we parked down the street and then sneaked in around the back of her house. And um, I probably saw one of the most graphic, violent things I've ever seen in my life. Mm. So um, we were looking, there was like a, just a normal back door of a house, you know, had a little window in it, and we were looking, I was looking through the window, and she was in the kitchen doing something, you know, and the husband came in, he was a massive dude, like bigger than me, mm. big solid guy, you know, grabbed her by the hair on the floor, no talking, just in on the floor and just started punching her in the face, you know, just over and over again. So what do I do, you know, I'm like, what are my options? I don't care. I don't think about it. I smashed the door as hard as I could with my hit it with my shoulder, bust the door open. The guy comes up, he's like, you know, coming at me. I just boom, popped him with my right hand as hard as I could, cracked his cut his cut his can't see mm. a good laugh. Yeah. Cut his face right open. He's falling on the ground, crying like a sissy now, because he's bleeding everywhere and screaming mm. blue murder and all the rest of it. And I kind of I panicked, like I thought, have I gone too far? Mm. Right? Like, have I what else could I do? Yeah, yeah. You know, that was just that was what I knew to do at that time. It was just instinctive. This big angry guy who just witnessed beating up his wife is charging at me to have a go. So it was like boom, straight straight in. Wow. Knowing what I know now, I probably would have just gone under single or double leg takedown, bit of pressure, get control, handcuff him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would have saved a whole lot of paperwork and a trip to the hospital for him to get his face stitched up. And, yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. it's a it's a hard situation. Yeah, well, some people might look at that and go, "Oh, there's a police officer who used too much force. Mm. Why did he have to do that to the guy?" You know, it's like I had literally two or three seconds to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a hard one. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People forget about the the human side of oh, that. absolutely. You know, how how are you gonna make yeah. those decisions? And, and I was scared. Get right all the time. Yeah, I was scared. You know, I was jacked up on fear and adrenaline and mm. you're seeing this violence and you want it to stop you know and 
probably why I hit him so hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so. Yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. And and so you know that that was my my next question. If you have ever injured someone, and if you get injured as yeah, well, yeah. you get injured by. Oh look, I don't know a single police officer that hasn't been injured in the job, mm-hmm. and some of them a lot more seriously, like permanent injury, um, than others. I think the worst thing I ever did was got my hand smashed up. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a that was a car chase that that had gone on for about an hour around um, the districts with these three young lads in a stolen car, and I was actually in court at the time, and I had my tie, suit and tie on, and you know, mm-hmm. it was the lunch of gym, and, and I went back to the station to get something, and one of the guys came running out of the um out of the station, he was like, come, come with me, come with me, so I jumped, I'm like, cool, he jumped in the car, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I missed my lunch break, and. Um, <laughs> The police had actually lost this car and it it was heading towards um, where we were based. So we shot out and sat on the motorway at the sort of intersection. And sure enough, two minutes later, here comes the car. So we got him behind us, start chasing it. And man, it was like something out of the movies. These guys were trying to crash into us. Their driving was out of control. So we made the decision. And this was back in the day when police were allowed to do what was called a, um, a rolling block, which is a really polite way of saying you crash into them and make them stop mm-hmm. in a safe way. So my mate who was driving was like, should we do a rolling block? I said, we kind of have to, we've got to stop them. This is, you know, they're going to kill someone, we've got to stop them. So mm. we crashed into the car, we jump out, they jump out, we have a massive big punch up. Um, it's somewhere in the course of that punch up, my hand got broken. Mm. And I didn't realize then because I was in my suit and tie, you know, I had my handcuffs, used to keep them around, concealed around the back and I went to get them and my hand wouldn't work. <laughs> so high on the adrenaline, you know, I didn't even wow. realize. So I had to do the old... Someone give me a hand, left hand, and we, we eventually got control of these three guys and other cars arrived, and mm. I went off to hospital and spent a year on night duties. <laughs> 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 Had to have a couple of surgeries to fix things and that, but mm. yeah, just you go from you know a nice morning in court and your suit and tie to I'm in this crazy-ass car chase and having a massive punch-up with three dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, Paul. Yeah, I really like the the what you just mentioned before now about the the fear, you know, because oh, yeah. you know it's uh, no. So that was a constant. It's a constantly thing as a as yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm. And it, there's kind of a culture there too where you don't talk about that stuff. Mm. You know, it's sort of joked about, but you don't really talk about it. Maybe that happens now. I don't know, but not back in my day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um yeah, and it, you know, I've seen cops um going to armed incidents, unable to load the weapon in the station because their hands are shaking so much. Mm. And this one case, I was like, stop, put it down, go and have a cup of tea. Mm. Everyone else carry on, you know? Because mm. you know, that's what you're doing when you're loading it. What are you going to do when you get there if the person actually confronts you with a firearm? You know? mm-hmm. You've had 20 hours of training and you're in an armed shootout, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. that's so intense. So, Paul, it's it's interesting because you know, even uh, you know, kind of re- relate a little bit to jujitsu. You know, the other day, the guy said to me, he said, oh, you know, I would like to be those type of guys who goes to competition, you know, and love that, and yeah, seems yeah. doesn't have any fear." And I said to him, I said, "Man, this doesn't <laughs> exist. One person, nah. if you're a human being for alive, the fear it's always gonna be part. It doesn't matter what, you know. Yeah. And, and being a police officer have to do for those." those situations all the time and the annoying thing of yeah. course a fear it's going to be a massive part oh, and you know I, yeah, I really take my hat off to the people in the job because not only do they deal with those things they deal with grief and death a lot more than you ever hear about mm. you know and, and that, that can really get under your skin I remember one night we had a um, 
we dealt with the death of a child, like a three-year-old child. Really, really tragic, really sad situation for a couple. It was their only child. They were an older couple. They were never going to have more children, you know. And um, this was sort of a last hope attempt at a child, and they were successful, and they had the child. And, and the child died in a really unfortunate accident in the house at three years old. And um, me and my sergeant, we dealt with it, you know, and we both had uh, kids the same age, mm. you know, and you're, you're sitting there with these people who have just lost their child and there's nothing more painful for a, for a person. And the grief was really heavy, you know, and, and we were we were sort of feeling it a bit and we were driving back to the station and we were both pretty quiet and thinking about our own children and stuff. And it was really good because there was a couple of patch gang members standing on the side of the road and when they saw us, they started giving us the fingers and, you know, F the police and all this stuff. And he just mm. looked at me and he said, I think we should go and have a chat to them. I said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so we got out and attempted to arrest them for, um, you know, disorderly. And, of course, the inevitable happened. We had a big punch up. Mm. They were happy. We were happy. It was kind of <laughs> it was one of those odd, odd situations. <laughs> they got a bit more street cred, you know, because they'd been in a fight with the cops. And uh. oddly, we felt a bit of relief for the pressure we were feeling from this grief situation. So. Mm. Yeah, it's not all bad in the police. There's some good stuff too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because oh, that's another um, another side as well. No, the majority of the people who wants to have a goal just for the sake of the the status oh, yeah. and that's that's a massive part, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a, the police have got a bit of a it's a bit of a challenge here too because you you shouldn't back down from that stuff, mm. but at some point you need to back down as well. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I look back at some of the stuff I did when I was younger. Mm. And I just think, man, I was stupid. You know, like that was mm. just that was just stupid. That was just me holding yeah. the line. No, you don't mm -hmm. get to speak to me like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And maintaining the kind of the the authority, I guess, of of police. Mm. Because you imagine if police backed down and ran away every time someone got gruff with them, it wouldn't work, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I look back now and think I probably got away with a few things. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I can guarantee there's young guys still doing it now and girls still still doing it now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Paul, the, the, this this whole increasement of um, violence in yeah. New Zealand, w um, do you have a do you have an opinion about it? Why I do. why this why this happen? Um, firstly, I'm mindful of the statistics in that they can often be the result of extra reporting. So if there's a confidence in police, people will report more assaults. Mm. So sometimes that can cause the increase. But putting the increase aside. Um, it's just the whole vo the volume of offending is crazy. Mm. It's just it's just way too much, you know. It's crazy, and I think ninety percent of all violent crime there's alcohol involved. Mm. You know, alcohol. Yeah, I think it's really cool. We're going to have a referendum on cannabis. You know, as a police officer, I was like, no, cannabis is the devil's lettuce. You know, no one should ever touch that stuff. Mm. Um, but then, sort of, as you mature and you think about these things a bit more, and you think, absolutely. We should decriminalize it, you know. I've never seen anyone get stoned and have a fight. Mm. You know, people just want to sit on the couch and eat KFC and yeah. chill out and <laughs> listen to music, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the alcohol, different story, completely different story, you know. Mm. That affects people's judgment, it affects their reasoning, that do stuff they wouldn't normally do. Methamphetamine or pee, man, that's next level. That, that stuff is just toxic, you know. Mm. That's really, really bad. And it's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's really dangerous, man. We've, you know, meth was starting to become popular when I was still still in the police, and um, well, in fact, it was really popular when I was in the police. And man, I remember um, several occasions dealing with people who were high on meth, and they had no pain tolerance. They sorry, they felt no pain. 
they could just take we went to a car crash with this dude who was high on meth and had broken his leg and he was running around trying to fight everyone and you could see the bone sticking out of his leg wow and i arrived and he shaped out to me and i was like mate stop look at your leg and he was like oh yeah mm. i was thinking if that was me oh. i'd be on the ground going into shock you know like yeah. <laughs> screaming and holding the leg and you could see the like the bottom of his leg sticking out the bone wow didn't care Mm. So you think about that in a self-defense jujitsu context. You punch a guy like that in the face, you're not going to care less. You know? mm. You've got to control them physically. And they're so strong. And that's where things like you know, mm. the rear naked choke, beautiful, yeah, <laughs> beautiful yeah. technique because yeah, mm -hmm. you incapacitate a person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so so do, you, do, you, do you have a which, – which situation was the most scary ever for you? Oh, the the most career? scary – the, this is the, the this is probably the time where I had the most of, of a fright, mm. and it was a um, a situation where there, I was a plainclothes detective, and we had this house that sold drugs, and it sold meth and it sold cannabis, and they did it through our slot in the door, and it was really hard to try and um, do anything to try and catch them. You know, by the time we got through all their security systems, the stuff was gone. You know, all you know it was really really hard. It was run by the gangs. Mm. So I had a um, an informant who said he'd help me out. So at like five o'clock in the morning, I meet the informant. I look back at this now, I laugh at how stupid this is. Mm. Five o'clock in the morning, I meet the informant. He sneaks me into into the drug house by myself and I hide in the pantry. Because mm. <laughs> from inside the pantry, I had a search from inside the pantry, I could look out, it didn't have a door handle. It had a hole where the door used to be. I could look out the door handle and I could see who was selling the drugs every time they sold them through the um through the hole in the door from the mm -hmm. inside, you know? Cunning plan, Paul. Excellent. All very good until my cell phone went off. Mm. And I'm sitting in there and my phone goes off mm. and I was like, <gasps> Holy. Turn it off. And then you could hear everyone went quiet outside. And then, I don't know why they did this, but this was a pantry, old house. There were two doors. There was a door that had no, no uh, handle that I was looking through and behind me was a door as well and that was locked mm. so I'm hiding this thing my cell phone goes off and I'm like <gasps> and next minute they tried to smash the door down behind me and you know it was like boom I absolutely crapped myself mm. I, I, bol I bolted I bolted out of that house like faster than I've ever run in my yeah. life and I ran down the street <laughs> and they were on the front door laughing at me yeah. even I was laughing like holy <laughs> hell they gave me a fright <laughs> And I look back, I think, that was so stupid. Mm. Like, that was just great idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> not, my, not my finest moment. Uh, but yeah, I was really, in that, just, I always remember that moment of just absolutely, my legs were working, man. I was out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Holy. So, Paul, we've been talking a lot as well about the, you know, for the, the woman we know, you know, yeah. and, and we, you know, they reported to us not feeling that safe lately. So what, what what do you recommend from your experience for someone who is not feeling yeah. feeling safer? Trust your instincts. Mm. Like really, and that's a sad thing to say, but trust your instincts. You know, you're better off to trust your instincts and be wrong than not trust them and find out that you were right. Mm. I can give you an example of that if you'd like. You know, mm -hmm. please. Yeah, um, we dealt with this case. The woman was in her forties, professional woman, intelligent woman, executive style job. You know. Um, she'd been single, separated from her husband for, for a few years. 
uh, decided to go into a dating site, not like a Tinder thing, but like a proper, not that Tinder's not proper, but mm-hmm. you know, a, a, yeah. a site where you meet people with the view of having a relationship. Mm-hmm. And she met this guy and, and they emailed and messaged each other for quite a long time, you know, a couple of months. And that progressed to phone calls and they got to know each other that way. And then um, she agreed to meet him for a coffee and she was at the cafe and he rang and said he got delayed and he couldn't make it and she needed to get back home. So she agreed to meet him, you know, at her house. Mm. And these people have been talking for a long time, emails and, you know, the trust was there. Well, she opened the door and straight away, she's, it was like warning, warning, danger, danger. This guy's a bad man, you know. Mm. She knew in her heart right then some bad stuff was going to happen. But instead of saying, sorry, mate, I made a mistake and shutting the door and locking it, she wanted to be polite and disregarded her kind of intuition that she was in a dangerous situation mm. and said, oh, come in. And of course, as soon as he was in the door, he grabbed her and, and really violently sexually violated her. Um, and I don't think she'll ever forgive herself for that because mm. she kind of foresaw that that was what, what was going to happen. So it happened now. She probably still carries a, a bit of... I had a part to play in that, mm. which isn't right to feel that way at all. But man, if she just listened to her instinct, you know, if it doesn't look right and feel right, mm. you know, listen to that, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's a shame that, that that we have that in our society that people have to feel that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But unfortunately, no. Mm. So Paul, at the at the same time, you you have some some stories, and one of the stories <laughs> who has created so much nightmares on my on my <laughs> life. <laughs> and after you tell, I'm gonna tell my stories. So, yeah, yeah. You know, you told me the when the you know the woman stand up for for yeah. themselves in a really yeah, so specific situation. <laughs> I like this story because of what happened to you after. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we um, I'm gonna pay for that at training. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had this we had this um, case. It was a quite a wealthy area, and um, didn't really have any crime happen in this area. And all of a sudden, we started to get these burglaries happening, and um, they were kind of odd burglaries because they were always at night when the people were home. Mm-hmm. The um, the burglar would steal things like a pair of sunglasses, mm. um, a couple of bucks off the kitchen bench, you know often a set of keys, which would suggest to us that he was coming back for something else, you know. Mm-hmm. And I say he because like 99% of the time burglars are, are guys. Mm-hmm. So um, we couldn't work out who this person was. We had zero idea, you know. And then it ramped up, and this was happening like every second or third day, these burglaries. And then we started to have occasions where people would wake up in the night and find this guy standing next to their bed just watching them sleeping. Mm. And then, oh. this is the bit you love, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so this happened quite a few times, and quite a few couples confronted this this guy, you know, and we eventually caught him. But when we interviewed um, the people who had woken up with him in the room, all of the men said exactly the same thing. They all said, uh, I was really, really surprised at how scared I was. I was so terrified. I didn't get out of the bed. I froze. I lay there. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't think. I was terrified. I've watched the UFC, you know, used to play a bit of rugby, always thought if someone broke into my house, I'd do this and do that and have all these cool moves worked out and, you know, beat them up and you know, mm. the tough guy talk, you know. And instead they were embarrassed. They were like, I couldn't believe I was paralyzed with fear. And all of the women said the same thing. They all said, I couldn't believe how brave I was. Mm. I lived out of the bed and I started swearing at that guy and I chased him down the street and I was trying to fight him and you know wow and then they also said and I couldn't believe what a massive coward my husband is yeah. 
See, guys, listen to that, guys. Come on. Yeah. And they were, me. you know, these are smart guys, and they're going, I, I always thought I'd be okay in that situation, but mm. I wasn't, you know. And I think the big, the big lessons there are, you're going to be afraid. If you wake up and someone's in your room, mm. as you know, Vincent, yeah, yeah. you're going to be yeah. afraid, you know? Of course. And, um, <laughs> and the chances are, if you haven't trained in something like BJJ, mm. you're not going to start responding. Yeah. Chances are you're going to freeze up, mm-hmm. hold your breath, everything will shut down, you know. It's that fight or flight stuff, you know, and or freeze, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what you'll do. So the more you train, the, the more likely you are to respond. So the big lesson, you're never, never going to know how you, if you think you've got a plan to do all that stuff, you don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the other lesson is that when we caught this guy, he, um, he said that his biggest fear was getting caught. Mm. And he, was, he knew that there was a chance that he'd break into someone's house and they would beat him up. So he used to carry a knife for, in his mind, self-defense. Mm-hmm. So while these yeah. women were chasing him out of the house and down the street, they were also doing a really silly thing. Mm. You know, so the, the lesson there is um, if someone's in your house and they're trying to run and get out, let them. Let them go. Just let them go. Mm-hmm. You know, if they've got your big screen TV or whatever, give them a hand to get it out the door. Just mm-hmm. take my TV and go, mate, it's only a TV. That's what yeah, I've got yeah. insurance for. I think the only time you should actually chase them is if they've got one of your kids. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, don't take the risk. Because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're getting yourself into. If, you, if someone's of a mindset that they would break into a person's home to watch them sleep, you don't know what else they're going to do. They're a really, really dangerous, unknown quantity mm-hmm. or entity, sorry. Yeah, so mm. pretty common sense. Yeah. So on one hand, do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu so you can defend yourself if they do attack you. But mm. on the other hand, have the good sense to go, off you go. Yeah. Yeah, don't break into my house. Because I think that's the, yeah, uh, two awesome lessons there. As well. and it's the, so the confidence the train can give you, but the, to give you, to confront, but to give you the confidence as well, to step back, what yeah, we yeah. always talk about, you know, the, to be yeah. to be in peace with that as well. Yeah, and you've described that as confidence, but I can imagine if this happened to me, I wouldn't feel confident. Mm. I'd still be afraid, but I would start moving and I would start doing things because mm. it's, You've drilled it so many times, you know. You'd be, mm. you'd be thinking, "Oh, there's the armbar, there's the choke." You know, you wouldn't be, mm. you wouldn't have to be thinking about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Would you like to tell your story about oh, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after you told me this story, and I, I'm, you know, because I come from Brazil, you know, and this happens in Brazil, you know, more than than once, you know, and then yeah. when I, you know, I had this this situation, but wasn't wasn't like. <laughs> so one day I was, you know, I. I I just heard in, in you know, I, I normally I sleep really well. And I <laughs> I just heard, you know, this, this thing, and I saw this thing beside of the bed. And the first thing came to my mind was this story you told me. It's the guy. So, I, yeah, I said, that's the guy. It's my chance now to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so I jump on the bed, and, and the problem when I'm, you know, if I'm tired or if I'm, you know, or if, for example, yeah. if I'm half asleep, I speak my own language, so it's oh, not no. Portuguese, it's not English. Yeah, I speak this language. <laughs> no one understands. Pendersonese. Yeah. <laughs> so I jump from the from the bed and I just went to you know towards this thing I was sewing beside of the bed and I kind of I scream, kind of you know I'm gonna get you, but in this this language. <laughs> And I didn't realize it was Emily, was my wife. So she jumped <laughs> on the ground and started screaming, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. I said, holy, what have I done? 
and that was I I felt I felt really bad after yeah. you know because Emily she straight away she jumped on the ground and started saying don't kill me don't kill me and say holy what's that so you mentioned that rush of adrenaline you had in mm. that moment and you're not you know imagine if that was the the person yeah would you have been really restrained and controlled them nicely and no them? way exactly no, and yeah. that's the that's the challenge of being a police officer mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a, yeah, that's a great example because you know I, and and I was re re really close to attack my, my <laughs> wife and, and she when she went to the ground, oh, but straight away. Should laugh is not funny. Yeah, no, but kind of no, but now now we laugh, you know, yeah, because yeah. after even you know she called her mom. She no 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 on the same day, you no, know, otherwise it would be holy. But after that, you know, <laughs> she was telling the story to everybody, you know, and I was feeling really bad, you know. Even her mom said. Man, what the hell does you know, Wanderson? What the hell are you do? You said, you know, and I explained the story, you know, but that yeah. that was, um, yeah, really interesting because even even kind of when we train, you know, we it's kind of we prepare ourselves for the future, you know, so we yeah. we simulate things, right? So for for me on my mind, after I heard that story, I always keep what 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 I would do, I would do in that story, you know, that situation, <laughs> because in my mind, never ever I would leave that to my wife, you know, to Emily to do anything, you know. That's holy. That's my job. That's what I yeah, train yeah, yeah. for. You know? <laughs> so, guys, oh, this what it's my recommendation to you: practice, train, because otherwise, my yeah. friend, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be the one who yeah. is gonna ask you leave to someone who should not do this job. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. You know. Yeah. So, Paul, how about the 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 mental side of everything, Paul. So, how was your your mental health uh, as a as a police officer? Um, and what the tools you are using to look? I I think one of the things same. police do well is is pick people who are pretty grounded in mm. and pretty mentally stable. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I was always kind of. I, I never had any really bad psychological moments in the police. I know people who did, they dealt with stuff that was just too much. But mm -hmm. what we know about that type of stuff is that, that it's cumulative. You know, you go to one death, that's okay. You go to 100 deaths, you might be okay. You don't know at some point your cup is full, you know. Mm. You, you don't know. And that might be the, the third one or the 31st one. You just don't know. So I used to try and limit my exposure to things. Mm -hmm. You know, the... The police have a, a library of, you know, all the time, really gross photos. You know, every time there's a crime scene, there's a murder, there's a homicide, there's a car accident. The police have to photograph the scene for, for forensic reasons, you know. Mm. And it's not uncommon for cops to go, oh, look at this photo. And I've always go, no, I'm good, mate. Mm. I'll look at that stuff when I need to look at that stuff because that's my job. Mm -hmm. I won't just look at it for fun. Because, mm. you know, you expose yourself to that stuff you think you might be becoming conditioned to it and used to it, but you're not. You're just, you're becoming numb to it. And at some point, your cup will overflow. And that's when people will psychologically break down, you know. Mm -hmm. So I left police at a time when I was still really positive about the job and I wasn't feeling any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I did have days where um, I used to uh, clear my mind of things. So I went to a, um, one of the first deaths I ever dealt with was a nine-year-old girl who was killed in a car accident. You know, it was tragic. It was just on the motorway, car crash, no one else is hurt, and this nine-year-old girl was killed, you know. Mm -hmm. And I've been in the job like three days, and I remember the dad was like hugging me, and he was going, why? Like, why? He's asking me why. And I was like, I don't know why. You know, what do you say? You, nothing can prepare you for that type of, well, maybe if you're a trained counsellor, but, you know. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I found myself, you know, really thinking about that, the father and his grief and the girl. So what I would do when I had those situations is go, okay, I'm going to clear the space a little bit and I'm going to think about it for half an hour. Mm. And I'm just going to think about it and really think about it until I've thought it out, mm-hmm. you know, until I've sort of like exhausted that line of thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I found that that really helped. So I never meditated or anything. I probably should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess in doing that, I was kind of doing that anyway, just clearing my head, you know, and getting refocused on things. And the other big thing too is physical fitness and training. Like that still for me, BJJ keeps me, keeps me sane. You know, i got a pretty stressful job. Mm-hmm. I go to training with all the troubles in the world, you know, weighing on my shoulders. Five minutes after the warm up, I'm like, phew. <laughs> what was I worried about? Venison's trying to choke me out. I've got different things to worry about now. <laughs> you know, and every time I leave jiu-jitsu, I feel so energized mm. and almost reset, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, that's awesome, Paul. Yeah, so. Paul, has a, has one story. I love that story for your, your, <laughs> your, your, your mom and the car. So please, can you share that story? Yeah. That's a great story. So this is a jiu-jitsu story, not a police story. Uh-huh. And uh, my mom lives down south and... She came up to stay, and my, my wife and I went and picked her up from the airport, and we were driving up the motorway. And the motor, the traffic was all backed up at the roundabout, you know, two lanes of traffic just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy comes running out and jumps, starts jumping on the bonnet of this car. And my wife's like, "Look at that guy!" He's jumping. And I said, like, "No, I didn't see it. What are you talking about?" And then he comes out again, and he, he's jumping on the bonnet of the car. He jumps over the car, <clears throat> opens the driver's door, grabs the lady driving the car by her hair, and just starts punching her in the face. And my mum was in the in the back seat. She said, Paul, go and get that man. Oh. I was like, yes, mum. <laughs> got out of the car, you know, you don't say no to your mum. Run, I'm running up to him and I'm like, I've been doing jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu maybe like a year and a half at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've got like, I was so excited. I was like, you're going to get like a hundred different techniques. I'm going to take the back and it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like... This is, I think everyone kind of, you know, every now and then thinks, I'd love to try this stuff for real. And this was my chance, you know, a really good reason to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I ran up. I managed to get a, like a standing Kimura grip, cranked it on. His face, as you know, went forward. He kissed the um, kissed the pillar of the door, smashed his mouth. Mm. <laughs> I lifted him up. I kind of got him by the shoulder and I see me sort of grip with the half Kimura on. And the car drove off because the traffic kept moving. Like the lady was terrified. So she just drives off with the traffic. So there's just me and him standing there <laughs> on the motorway. And I was thinking, I hope someone filmed that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to show Dan. So. And um, I walked them off the off the motorway, across the two lanes and onto the grass verge, and then sort of like gave a massive push away so it created some space between me and him. Mm. And the coolest thing about this story was he was wearing a tap-out T-shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he turned around and he was really, he looked really surprised because uh, here's some older civil servant looking dude just kicked his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really calm and he was really angry and his mouth was pouring blood and stuff. And I just said, hey man, you need to calm down a wee bit, you know? And he was looking at, you could see he was looking like, he wanted to fight me, but I think he was starting to have a bit of like, I don't know if I want to fight you or not, you know? Mm. It was a bit crazy <laughs> what you just did. <laughs> and I was thinking... I hope you still want to fight me. Because <laughs> I've got like 95 other techniques that I haven't used yet. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I just, I just, off you go, mate. And he turned and he was like, <laughs> walked off. <laughs> we called the police, but they never arrived. But I don't mm. know why. Mm. Well, I do know why. My wife's English. She dialed 911. 
<laughs> just for everyone watching this, is one one one. Not nine one one. So the time we got through, it was like ten minutes after the. Uh, <laughs> but I love, I love the fact of your mom. You know, straight yeah, away, right. Paul, go, go do something. Paul, go and get that man. <laughs> <laughs> Should have said, you go and get him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And after, it, and I remember gave, I gave you a T-shirt. Yeah, said, hey, Paul, make sure next time you're wearing a combat room T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh guys, we, uh, no guys. Of course, no. We are we are laughing. We are joking yeah. here. No, but no. This is serious it's, stuff. It's a but terrible thing for that woman. Yeah. I think it was obviously her boyfriend that had an argument. He got mm. in the car and he was attacking her, and that's horrible. You know, that's horrible. But mm -hmm. hopefully, what I did bought her some safety. Yeah. And a few chuckles. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, <laughs> but to also, I listened to the guy as well. No, I listened to you know someone yeah, who yeah. wasn't expecting, was really calm, was under control. Yeah, you was, know, and that's the beauty of yeah, we're no smiling at him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know, the, the the confidence, you know, to be able to to stay calm in in, in a situation yeah. of stress and, and pressure and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what jujitsu does, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Paul, so you know, for for the people who's listening or watching right now, you know, so what's what's your, you know, what's your re recommendation device for someone to? I just sign up to the combat room. Only <laughs> 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 well, man, this podcast you're just advertising for and, and buy some kombucha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you know, I am, um, and that that was the 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 coolest thing because you did yeah. a you did a seminar for us about self defense, yeah. you know, and and one thing it's me going there and not talk about uh, you know the techniques and but another thing it has someone who has been yeah. you know on the ground of. Uh, you know, really, really hard situations and, yeah. and give your knowledge, your perspective. That was great. That was Thank really, you. really cool. I think um, I always say this to the young guys. At, at, when I say young, I mean under 30 guys at, um, at jiu-jitsu. Mm. You know, when, when I hear them talking about self-defense, they're often talking about a pub fight situation or a bar fight or, a, you know, in town on a Saturday night kind of thing I mean, that's not self-defense if you get in one of those fights chances are you've had something to do with getting into the fight mm -hmm. you know you can get out of those fights pretty easily mm -hmm. unless someone comes up and blindsides you you know but generally speaking that's testosterone and alcohol which is never a, ever a good combination for anything mm -hmm. um you know when i talk about self-defense i'm talking about the the really serious stuff you know mm -hmm. the really bad people who are high on methamphetamine, they've broken into your house, they're intent on doing you harm, intent on taking your property, and they don't care less about hurting you. Mm -hmm. You're just the thing that's in the way, you know. Mm. Mm. That's awesome, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, uh, and uh, another thing I really like as well is the fact of you addressing you know, the, the problem when everyone kind of blames a little bit, ah, but it's their culture, the drinking thing, you know. We cannot blame the oh, culture. No, take the take responsibility for your this, your your actions. You know, and don't yeah. blame uh, you know, the, alco the the culture for you know the 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 harm alcohol can cause in so many people's life in our, our society. You know? Yeah, and also too, like a, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Mm. You know, I've I've seen some videos that my son has had of like college kids, and this is this is locally mm. having fights at the school, and you know, back in my day that happened. But someone stopped the fight. Whereas these guys are going for the ground and pound, you know. Mm. And it were going for the Renaco choke and you you guys don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you could kill someone doing that stuff mm. or seriously, seriously injure someone. 
without realizing, you know, mm-hmm. only because they're watching UFC, UFC and, and they get carried away, and you know. Mm. So I guess this is it might be an odd thing to say, but you know, people are always going to go out, and especially young men, they're going to go out, they're going to have too much to drink. There's going to be a bit of biff, but if that happens, look after each other, you know. Like mm. if your mates get in a fight, there's a time when you stop it, you know, mm. and you go, okay, fair enough, you, you've won, that's cool, mm. you know. But this all this ground and pound and. That's dangerous stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or do the the real thing, you know? Come to a go to a martial arts school, yeah. you know, and then do the the real thing. Yeah, you know? exactly. Practice properly, you know. If yeah. people professional, if people who knows what they're doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I um I broke up a fight at a craft beer festival like a year ago mm. with two guys and you know, in their thirties, big dudes, and they just started throwing bombs at each other. Mm. <laughs> like, and I was it's so ugly, you know, it's super ugly. Yeah, and mm. my whole approach to that having trained jiu-jitsu for a bit longer was completely different i was just like restrain someone mm. you know and that was kind of hard because it was just me loads of people were watching i went in to stop them i thought everyone else would try and stop them as well but they uh-huh. were watching the biff but just, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be in the middle of these punches so i was being mm. careful but eventually managed to restrain one one guy you know and then someone jumped in and restrained the other guy but yeah it was a completely different scenario than you know how i might have dealt with it in the past mm-hmm. yeah yeah oh Paul thank you thank you so much so Paul let's just to to finish let's have a little tribute <laughs> a little kombucha so no alcohol <laughs> cheers venison thank you so much thank you oh Plimiton kombucha where can we find the Plimiton kombucha Paul oh we're in loads and loads of places now mm. loads of different bars and cafes and restaurants um Probably the best way is just to look on our website and find us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give us the, the website, the address for the ones that are listening. Just Google Plymouth and Kombucha. Mm-hmm. Yep, you'll find it. Okay. There's only one. <laughs> yeah. No worries, we're going to put on the description of the video. Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Vanessa. So, my friend, thank you so much. Thank you. you know, it has been five years now, you know, in this journey yeah, together, yeah. you know, and I hope, uh, you know. Um, I'm just going to keep coming as long as I can get up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's my thing. As long as I can keep getting up the stairs, I'm going to keep coming, you know. Mm. I'm, I'm 50 now. I've probably got to have another 20 years of jiu-jitsu in me, mm. um, hopefully. You might have to carry me oh, down. We Mormon. You might have to he, carry me down the stairs. <laughs> as long as I can get up. Helio Grace was doing until 96, I think. Yeah, 96. Oh, 90, yeah, 96 I years might, old. I might get my brown belt. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, for my friend, thank you so much no, for your you, time. You know, thank you for your knowledge. You know, we're going we're gonna to organize another um, self-defense seminar. You know, yeah, so yeah. you can share your knowledge again with her. With your club and also with with people from from outside as well. What's very very important. Yeah. Awesome. So my friend, thank you. Really thank you, appreciate. Anderson. Thank you. Yes. <laughs>